0: This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together.
1: together. Hey folks, welcome to the show. Really interesting topic today, and I've got two absolute legends here to share some wisdom and some tangible tips on how to excel in triathlon as we keep aging up, particularly focusing today on the multi-sport needs of the older half of the pack. And I wanna be very clear, and y'all know I do not swear on this show lightly, but my two guests today are just total badasses. I I might be decades younger than both of them, but I am for sure the slowest athlete on this episode. So I want to be very clear. We are not talking about meekly finishing races in our golden years. We are talking about how to thrive and get the most out of yourself, even middle to late into your tri journey. So I'm thrilled to have uh, who who I think are probably the best two people on the show to talk about this today. So first up joining me is pro triathlete, Didi Griesbauer. D.D. swam collegially for Stanford University before making the switch to triathlon. She is entering her 18th year in the professional field and is a three-time Ironman champion with three top 10 finishes at Kona on her resume. She won Ultraman Florida and set an Ultraman world record in the process. Dee is part of the Ironman Live commentary team, providing color commentary and race analysis for Ironman races around the world. Dee, Dee, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to dive into this topic. Um, I, I think I'm going to be able to learn something as well, So, <laughs> uh, given given the company I have uh, with me today. So uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yep, and that company is Tridot coach Kurt Madden. Kurt is a pioneer of the sport and a nine-time Kona finisher. He has three top 10 finishes at the Ironman World Championships and is a three-time North American Age Group champion and is a four-time number one world-ranked age group Ironman all-world athlete. And as if all of that isn't enough, he is also a two-time Ultraman world champion. And in 2019, was inducted into the Ultraman World Championship Hall of Fame. Kurt Madden, thanks for joining us again for the Tryout Podcast.
3: Andrew, it's great to be back. And it's really going to be great to be able to contribute to this podcast.
1: I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll roll through our warm-up questions, settle in for our main set conversation, and then wind things down with our cool-down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it.
0: Time to warm up. up. Let's get moving.
1: Short course, middle distance, long course, or ultra, the triathlon finish line is always a hard-earned and rewarding experience. The emotions for everyone are different and can even vary from finish line to finish line for each athlete. So Kurt, Didi, from all the multi-sport finish lines that you've crossed, which would you say was your favorite finish line moment? And Didi, uh, first time on the podcast, let's start with you today.
2: Uh, great. Um, I would have to say absolutely. My, uh, Ultraman Florida finish line okay. is probably my most cherished. I mean, it's, it's hard to pick one, right? Cause they're all special for different reasons. You know, your first Ironman win, my first top 10 in Kona, you know, my first Ironman ever, uh, all very special for different reasons. But I think I would have to pick my Ultraman Florida one because it was a shared experience. It was shared with my crew, Yeah, Um, triathlon is such an individual sport, but there is zero percent chance I'd have made it through that endeavor without the the support and the butt kicking when necessary (laughs) from my amazing crew. And so to be able to share that with that group of people who were there completely selflessly only to support me, I think is is something that it's it was unusual. You know, we all say it takes a village in Ironman races. We have supportive friends and coaches and spouses and partners and, um, you know, training partners and and things like that, uh, that help get us through uh, the buildup and and the event itself, uh, the, the fans out on the, the courses, the volunteers. But um, I think with Ultraman, that crew experience was just so intimate and to share that with those people um, just made it all the more special and, and really different from other, race experiences that i've had
1: okay sure coach kurt madden uh, of all of your finish line moments what is this answer for you
3: you know as i've tried to look back on what 40 plus years andrew i might with your permission and dds i might want to take two absolutely um, I'll let's allow start, let's it. Start. we'll give it to you <laughs> thank you so much you're so generous i would say probably i'm going to start right where you left off um my first um, ultraman in 1983, because that was kind of the inaugural event. And um, very, very small. There was like 30 people in the race in the first day. There were very few people down at the pier. And you did a six mile swim. Then you're on the other side of the island. The 90 mile bike ride. Then you went out all the way up to hobby. Coming into literally where the Ironman um, finish line is, when you finish literally right there, right at the King, uh, you know, the King K Hotel, just to finish underneath that infamous tree right there and to stand there for like a minute and then a local like, brah, where have you run from? And I said, <laughs> and I just pointed north. I said, Javi. And he's like, no. And I said, and you know what? I'm going back. He says, no, no, no. Don't do that. And I'm, you know, I'm just joking. I think at that moment, did you just like you? It's like, oh, my goodness all the heavy lifting, not just me, but the entire crew, a three day adventure to go around the entire big island and see 11 different climate zones out of 13 in the world, that it just hits you like, oh my goodness. So I think for me, that was just incredible. But then I need to go back to 1982 with the Ironman because the context of the Ironman, then it was really in a nice way. Before the internet, it was kind of a California sport. I kind of knew who was gonna be in that top ten because I train with those guys all the time. But I can remember vividly coming off the bike in 20th, going like, wow, I'm I'm pretty far back. But you know what? I've got that grit, I've got that tenacity, I'm just gonna keep on grinding. And 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 one thing led to the next. I'm going up Pelini. I'm like in 14th. And then I'm going out toward the airport and I see Dave Scott. He's already flying back. He's traveling sure. a <laughs> It's like the look on his face was so vivid. It's like you're not going to touch that guy today. He's got this thing wrapped up and I'm moving up and I'm moving up. And like, now I'm in the top 10 and now I'm, I'm turning around. I'm coming back and I'm passing a few people like you can't pass me. I said, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I, I trained harder than you. And I said, okay, well, I, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm going, I'll talk to you at the finish line. And to keep moving up and finish sixth overall in the world, it was like, wow, wow it doesn't get any better than that and then just that vibe right there at that finish line and did you know how it is it's like god you pay your dues all day long but it's that last 100 yards it's just electric so i remember that one vividly
2: it's funny you say that because every single race i think you go through those moments where you're like this is awful this is terrible why am i doing this why am i doing this and it's that last 100 meters where you're like this is amazing i love this (laughs) (laughs)
1: and so Kurt on the recording right now you're you're showing us a picture uh, our our listeners uh,
3: 1982 finishing right there sponsored by Bud Light
1: guys we're going to throw this question out to y'all make sure you are a part of the I am Trot Facebook group every single Monday when the new podcast comes out we post this question to you guys our listeners Uh, can't wait to hear what you have to say whether it was from uh, your first sprint or, or, or Olympic or whether it was from your first Ironman or most meaningful Ironman. Maybe it was a PR. Maybe it was Ultraman, like uh, like Kurt and DeeDee. Really curious to see what you have to say. What was the most meaningful finish line experience you have had as a triathlete? On to the main
0: set. Going in three, two, one.
1: Quick reminder, TriDot is currently running the 2021 edition of our annual research project that we call the Preseason Project. We are looking for non-TriDot athletes who want to jump into the research project this year. Qualifying athletes will get two free months of TriDot training. It's literally two months of the best training available in exchange for TriDot getting to analyze the training data that comes in from those sessions. I started training with TriDot during the 2018 preseason project and immediately took a liking to the structured training schedule and saw huge improvements in my swim, bike and run. My 70.3 PR before TriDot was a 5.57 and after training with TriDot, that PR is now a 5.02. For those of you doing the math, that is a 55 minute improvement for me since continuing with TriDot after coming on board for the preseason project. If you already train with TriDot, now is the best time to invite your Tri friends to participate in the preseason project. And if you are a podcast listener and have never given our training a try, head to slash PSP, join the preseason research project, and enjoy two free months of TriDot training. Being a triathlete at the age of 20 is different from being a triathlete at the age of 40, which is also different from being a triathlete at the age of 60. Our bodies change what they're good at, the training stress they can handle, how much TLC they need before and after workouts. There are plenty of considerations to be made as you get into the older half of the field. And we have two standout veterans of the sport here to talk to us about excelling as triathletes as we age. So, so Dee, our audience knows me probably a little bit too well by now. Uh, Kurt, Kurt has joined us a few times on the podcast, so I want to start today just kind of catching our listeners up on your background in multisport, what what inspired you to move from collegiate swimming over to triathlon?
2: Yeah, I um I retired from swimming in 1994. I actually swam for two years post collegiately, which at that point was unheard of. I mean, now there's there is such a thing as professional swimming. Uh, back in the day, that there really wasn't. Uh, there were very few athletes who swam post collegiately. When your college career ended, that was it. But my senior year at Stanford, I was still swimming best times, and I was still in love with the sport. Uh, So I decided to carry on. But by 94, I did start to feel like I was falling behind my peers a little bit in terms of career advancement and all of those, you know, important things. (laughs) Um, And I I did not, was not continuing to progress in the pool. So I, I did decide to retire. And at that point, I, I sort of took up running a little bit more seriously. I had always run um, at Stanford as part of our quote unquote dry land training. Sure. Um, you know, back in the 80s, a very big emphasis on weight management from swim coaches. Uh, we can go into detail on how displaced <laughs> that is. But anyway, I actually really enjoyed running. And one of my teammates at Stanford was actually uh, Barb Metz, who is also known as Barb Linquist. Uh, And we were probably the only two on the team that actually really enjoyed running. And so when we had to go run, um, it was, it was great. And of course, Barb went on to great success as a, as a triathlete uh, Olympian. And um, I just continued to run mostly to keep up with my eating habits that I had developed in swimming. um, I continued to run just recreationally ran a couple of marathons. And then uh, the summer before I started business school, was dating a boy and was trying to impress him. And he had suggested that we ride our bikes across the country. And I thought, well, goodness, I only have my Schwinn from the fifth grade. So I bought a bike and five days later, we flew to Seattle um, to ride our bikes back across the country. Unfortunately, we broke up in Montana. um, (laughs) But um, we continued the ride and I actually just found I really enjoyed cycling. So the summer after business school... I didn't have any money because I had just paid for business school. I had three months off before I had to start my job. And I had been um, studying for finals uh, at business school right before the, the Christmas holiday. And I was burnt out and I turned on the TV and I happened to see the Ironman World Championship being broadcast there, right there on NBC. Wow. And I was gobsmacked. And I just thought, I have got to try this. So the summer after business school, I spent that three months training as hard as I could and getting as fit as I could uh, to do an Ironman. And I was hooked. I loved it. <laughs> so, so,
1: Didi, you've had a presence in the pro field now for seventeen, going on eighteen years, and you're still going strong. In the most recent race season, at the time we're recording this podcast, uh, the year two thousand twenty-one uh, just wrapped up, and, and you had multiple top ten finishes, including a fifth overall at Ironman Lake Placid, and setting a bike course record in Cozumel. Uh, kind of, what is it like, kind of, in this season of your life, to line up on race day as the oldest member of the pro field?
2: Um, it, it's sort of refreshing to be honest. Um, Ironman is, is an event of experience. I think, um, you can make up for a lot, uh, by just having more experience that there are very few things that I'll experience out on a race course that I haven't experienced already or coached an athlete to experience or had a, a training partner experience. So that experience is, is comforting in many ways. And there's also sort of the, I don't want to say the apathy, but I've lost, I don't feel the sense of pressure I think I felt back in the peak of my career because I okay. totally line now, not with the pressure of feeling like I have to win the race, but seeing, you know, how close can I come to winning this race and not just sound snarky, but how much can I embarrass these 30 year olds? And that is a tremendous, it's a lot of fun for me. Like, let's just go see what's possible. There are no expectations on me anymore. Um, and, and that's very, very liberating and, and gives me license to really take chances that I think I would have been almost too scared to do back when there was more that was expected. Interesting. Of
1: me. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And it totally makes sense. And as a, as a 30 something, I love to see it. I just absolutely love it. So, um, Kurt, you've come on the show several times, kind of as, as our Kona expert and world championship historian. Uh, we've heard some great stories from your days racing against Mark Allen, Dave Scott, Scott Tinley, and so many others, uh, guys like Mike Riley and Bob Babbitt, whom we all revere are, are just peers and friends of yours. Um, you know, what, what is it like for you to, to still be racing so competitively while most of your peers have transitioned from racing to other roles in the sport?
3: Mm-hmm. You know, Andrew, when I really reflect on that, that I, I the, the way I would describe it, it's it's really surreal. <laughs> it, yeah, it has to be because it's, it's just so awesome when you can continue your learning, when you can be engaged, when you can be prepared Go all go through all the pre-race anxiety. A lot of people like so. At this point in your career, do you ever get like butterflies before the race? And I'm like, you know what, I actually do. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and really, I think to give back to the sport, it, it's like, I think we owe this, that's part of our sport, it kind of evolved that way, is that it's important to give back. It's, it's really focused on we rather than me. And I think it really inspire other people to, to commit not to quit. And, and, and really, Didi, to piggyback off your story, I can remember being in Texas, I think it was in 2000, um, uh, 2019, doing the math in my head, 2019, had a great swim, had a great bike. I think I was 16 miles into the run and I was coming up to where Cindy <clears throat> typically sits in one little spot out yeah. there, of course. Uh-huh. And it, it, I remember that race that we actually put the numbers on the back of our legs. So this guy was, I think he was 27. He caught up with me and he goes, you know what? years old as my my grandpa and i go no the number in the moment i caught him completely off guard i says no that number 63 should be 93 <laughs> he stopped he actually stopped <laughs> in his tracks and he just, he couldn't stop laughing. He goes, you can't be 93. I said, no, I'm not. But you know what? He goes, I want to be like you when I grow up. And I'm like, you know what? See, that made my day. Just yeah. It sounds kind of corny, but that guy will never forget that. And he'll probably tell that story. He'll put the spin on it. I don't think I will. But I, and I think too, that, you know, in the sport now, it, it's something that it really still teaches you the nuts and bolts, how to adapt, how to pivot. How, how to be resilient, how to bring your A game, You know how to give 100% and then finish strong. And you know when you really think about it, it really parallels life. And that's that interplay between our sport and life. If you can do all those things throughout your life, you're gonna be A-okay versus some people, they just can't. So I think, again, as I look back, it's just so surreal and I'm just so pumped to, to even start the, the 20, uh, 2022 season. So Kurt, just from dinner conversations and and seeing you out on course multiple
1: times in the year 2021, um, you know, I, I can see your passion to race is as strong as ever. Um, Kurt, you were the number one age group athlete last year in the Ironman, like age group point standings. I remember getting the email where Ironman's like, Hey, check your all world status. And I remember clicking on the link to see where I was in my age group and the, the top name out of every athlete, uh, in the world. Number one, Kurt Madden. Uh, and, and so it was incredible to see that and be like, I know him. Um, but but you know, you, you topped the podium for the men's 65 to 69 division in Coeur d'Alene, in Tulsa, in Waco, and in Tempe. Do you feel like your relationship with triathlon has changed over the years, or do you still kind of view
3: your place in the sport as the same as it's always been? Well, <clears throat> probably I would I would respond, Andrew, and thank you for those compliments. And, and that's a whole different podcast. Andrew, I can tell you <laughs> we went through a lot together this past year and we sure did <laughs> yeah. all i all i wanted to do is i just wanted to find andrew and john once i found where you guys were then you can give me some good intel but up to that m- moment it was it was kind of pins and needles but i think for me the relationship it's kind of kind of yes and no i i think first of all that you know as we've looked at the changes in the sport that we've had to adapt we've had to adapt with all the technology you know, all the different, all the different things is things with the rules and the courses, because back in the day, we didn't, it was really real simple. It was called RPE, your rate of perceived effort. That was yeah. all the technology <laughs> you had. And I was just thinking, and prior to coming on this, this podcast, what would happen if Ironman just said, okay, we're going to do this race a little bit differently. There's no technology allowed. Wow. I I don't know if a lot of people would say, I'm in, they might say some people would have a heart attack and just, they would, yeah, they would. <laughs> So, but I, I look at that and I think the, the one thing that, that hasn't changed is that you always want to give your best. You want to give your best from start to finish. You want to embrace the camaraderie. You want to be um, a, a good person in the sport, meaning your sportsmanship. And, and really just to put it out there, you don't want to be a jerk. I think that's one thing that I would say, honestly, once in a while you see that, but, but the majority of triathletes, that's really, really awesome. I think the, the, the mental approach hasn't really changed at all it's the grit the tenacity the positive cells talk that is important but i think again when i look back on the sport i think it was really easy in the beginning in 1980 there was one simple rule no cheating okay <laughs> if I fast forward that to 2022 unfortunately there's a few people in the sport and their mindset is i'm going to go ahead and draft until i get caught yeah you know go ahead and, and penalize me and i think I, I have to separate myself from that because it does bother me a little bit, the pureness of the sport, and and that's one thing maybe I'll never adjust to, but I think there's been big changes. It's been great, but when it comes down to it, you still have to perform and execute on race day.
1: Yeah, Kurt, you referenced uh, you know John and I giving you kind of time updates by the time you found us on the run course. We could tell you how far ahead the second placement uh, you, you were at your races, and uh, it was especially fun in Ironman Arizona because the guy in second – uh, you know, 45, 50 minutes behind you was actually an athlete that you coach. And so when he came around, uh, you know, we, we knew he was a tried out athlete. I didn't know you coached him. Uh, but, but he was very concerned. He, he asked, he asked John and I straight away, you know, how, how far ahead is Kurt? And we're like, bro, he's 45, 50 minutes ahead of you. And he's like, I'm going to catch him. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to, like, no, no, he's, he's, he's my coach. I'm going to, I'm going to catch him. Like, Oh, and so and anyway, it was really funny to meet him. And, and to know that that guy trying to chase you down was an athlete that you actually coach. So, uh that that was a that was a fun story for me so um for for each of you um dd kind of in your 50s uh kurt in your 60s re- respectively uh and both of you are still crushing it on course do you approach your training any differently now than you did when you were younger um so so dd for you kind of to stay competitive in the pro field is the training the same as it was 16 17 years ago or does it look different now
2: uh i'm actually pretty proud to say that i think you know throughout all the years of my career I've been able to sort of build momentum. Um, I think in my early years, I did a, a lot of quality training, but the the volume wasn't tremendous. And part of that was geography. I, I started my pro career living in Boston. Uh, so the winters obviously weren't very conducive to doing a lot of long training in the, in the wintertime. Um, but as I've evolved through my career, I think in today I am doing... A, a higher combination of, of volume and intensity than I did earlier in my career. Wow. Well, what's had to come along with that. Um, I think to use your words from earlier um, the TLC uh, that comes along with it. And, and that's not to say that I, I'm not taking more recovery days. If anything, I'm taking, I, I, I don't want to say recovery. I am taking recovery days. I'm taking fewer days off. I find that an object in motion stays in motion. And if I stop moving, I, I actually get, inactivity injury. (laughs) So I, I think that that has changed a lot of the, you know, as opposed to rolling out of bed, throwing my shoes on and heading out the door for a run. It now takes me a half hour to get ready to go run, (laughs) you know, with all the prehab and the rehab and the, and the taking care of myself. Nutrition um, is something that has long been an Achilles heel for me. Uh, and I was able to sort of skirt it for a long time and just say, you know what, Uh, it doesn't really matter. I'm doing just fine, but now I really have to pay attention to it. Um, so those little details matter a lot more. So, you know, for me, I feel like my training is, I'm really happy with what I'm able to withstand in terms of, of training. And I feel like it is keeping me competitive in the sport, but I've had to add, A tremendous amount of work on top of that with regards to strength training, nutrition, rest and recovery, rehabilitation, and all of those sorts of things uh, to keep it going.
1: Very, very interesting. Kurt, TriDot, I know, was not a thing when you were young in the sport. So I I know discovering TriDot was a great moment for you that kind of changed the way you train uh, along somewhere along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, But in addition to assimilating to TriDot, how has training changed for you as you've gotten older?
3: Yeah, it that's a great question. And I know probably because of where I was geographically Didi, that I was in kind of the, the thick of it, that <laughs> I was in San Diego. And that's where that's where everyone is was training. And and back in the early eighties I can remember that when you were literally driving around or whatever, if you saw Scott Tinley, you know, on his bike, you knew he was probably going hundred miles. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a call, Hey, you want to go for a bike ride? Well, who's on the ride? Well, we got Mark Allen and we've got Mark Montgomery and Tim and a few other people. And I'm, so I'm telling my wife, yeah, they said it's three hours. I'll be back like in three and a half, six and a half hours later. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness. So it was really it was high volume. And I can remember even Dave Scott. I mean, and and I have so much respect for Dave that, that if you go back in his history in the 80s, that Dave would do a lot of high volume. Actually, the day before the race, he would do like a 60 mile bike ride or do repeats on Alihi Drive going to the carbo loading party. I think a lot of it was the site thing that he would put out to people. So I think as I shift forward, when I came back into the sport in 2015, it was perfect that John and I met at a perfect time in 2016. It's like, wow, I'm gonna flip the switch on this whole thing that I now can control the volume, really focus on that intensity. And I think that's been a, a big change for me. And I think also just like with Didi, I think in this day and age now, there's there's no secret. It's swim, bike, run, recovery. And that's a whole, that's another pillar. It's like the yeah. pillar. That back in the '80s, we we didn't do that much recovery. It was like if you did, you were kind of a wussy. And this day and age, it's like <laughs> you don't have your massage gun out, you're not you're not doing the norm attacks, you're not saving twenty minutes extra every day. I mean, all those things that we need to do. And I think the other thing too is that nutrition—that's the fifth pillar. That that I I was good back in the '80s, but I'm much better today.
1: I, I think something that would be really interesting to talk about, Kurt, that I haven't heard anybody ever really bring up is if if you could go back to the '80s. And have Dave and and, uh, all all the, you know, yourself, Scott Tinley, Mark Allen, all those guys racing all over again, if they could have known what we know now in terms of fueling yourself and recovering and and all that, how much faster could those guys have been uh, than than they were back then? I don't know. Probably a whole different podcast, but very interesting talking point. Agreed. So luckily for us in triathlon, there are objective, uh, kind of data points in our training. There's things like Watts, average paces and, and those paces relationship to heart rate. Um, you know, talking shop with a training buddy of mine who's in his fifties, you know, we, we've, we've compared notes that my max heart rate is, a, is in the one nineties while his max heart rate is in the one fifties. Um, you know, for you, how have these kind of biometric data points changed over the years and how has it changed what your
3: body's is capable of in training and racing. I'm really pleased with the technology that we have now and all the different metrics we can utilize. Cause again, my background is in exercise physiology and you know, I'd have to go back again, when I did my masters, you know, it was um, something that I can remember vividly just doing a max VO two kind of old school. It's not like on your, your Garmin watch. It, it's no, you're going to put everything on where yeah. you're, you're expired gases and it's going to be all out. So I think for me back then in college when I was a pro, and that was just the perfect timing. That that was one indicator. I, I think I didn't hang my hat on that too much because as I looked, at the one variable it was really anaerobic threshold. In other words, that point of and Dave Scott promotes that quite a bit. And I, I I tag right onto that, and that was my thesis. It was really with a tethered swimming device: is can we measure you know oxygen uptake and measure anaerobic threshold? So when a person goes from an aerobic state to anaerobic state that's kind of like how much of your VO2 or oxygen uptake are you are you taking is it at 60% 70% 80% can you make that go up to 85 86 87 so i think as i've come back in this board in 2015 and i think I, I would say objectively that i've aged graciously okay that's the appropriate word to use i, I think again try dot there's no, it's things are very, very objective. When you do a 20 minute power test, it's a 20 minute power test. There's no subjectivity to it. It's right there. And Andrew, it's it's even hard to say this, but last Tuesday, since I've been with Tridot in 2016, it was an all time best. Wow. All time best. And I had texted John last month and I said, hey, John, um, I have this really weird feeling that I can go up like by 15 Watts. And it was so funny, his response, he goes, you know, I don't think I'm going to doubt you right now, but it's, I think dd G- can appreciate this. I think as an athlete, when you get these strange ideas that you believe something will happen and you work toward that, no matter what level you're on, you've got to stick with that. And that's what drives me, I think, and motivates me is like, I'm so fixated on, I know I can hit that number. But at my age, to hit an all time best on an FTP, I'm thinking, guy, you know, I drilled down. I didn't have OCD too much about it, it felt good. I didn't vomit at the end you hear all this all these stories about the FTP. <laughs> You know it was actually real good and I'm thinking, guy, I, let me check my cadence one more time. What can I do in my warm up to change that? And so I think that was good with my swimming again I, I looked at my times from 2016 when I look at my assessments and I can tell you that they've changed maybe a second or two, but keep in mind, probably just like Dee, Dee, is that 90% of the time that I'm working on that, I'm trying to maintain that level. Like, I'm not going to get a big bump. And, and I know I even did my 400-yard swim last Friday, and, and Andrew, you can appreciate this, that I started to get a leg cramp, you know, at 150 yards. So I'm like, what are you thinking? That cannot happen right now. I'm going to finish yeah. this puppy. But then at 250 i started my legs started going numb because i didn't have enough oxygen i got to 300 yards and i'm like just relax you're going to finish this thing just relax and i came in two seconds faster than a month ago so and then as as you've been to races respectfully john and i he kind of teases me like you think you can go under an hour and i'm like well john i'll see and and i'm pretty consistent with that but again just like dd with me the running there's no way at my age that I think I can continue to to have that high level, you know, max VO2. That's what. Now, conversely, I've worked with I've got a couple athletes that I work with in their 70s, and it's it's really incredible to even say this, but they're not slowing down. And I'm thinking, is it genetics? Is it lifestyle? Is it a combination of both? But when I've got a 72 year old, they can go like 22, 30 for a 5K, and then he's telling me, Coach, I think I'm slowing down. I'm going, please, can I have a part of your genetics? Can you, just, can you federal express it or put it on Amazon bus? But I think we do it with grace. And I think the thing that I've learned, just like with Didi, is that you've really got to um, take care of yourself with the recovery, with the nutrition. Moderation is really key. But for me, I've got a, a chiropractor. I've got an acupuncturist. I've got a massage therapist. When I go in, it's like going to church three times a week. I I don't need to say a word, it's like, they're going to tell me exactly what I need to know, not what I want to hear. And that's a big, big difference, because they know your body intuitively. So when I check everything off for a race, there's no doubt in my mind that it's like, okay, I want to go in and I want to be proactive. And I think that's the other thing I find not to belabor the point is be proactive, just like on a car or on your house, don't wait till the, the, the dashboard has all red lights on it, like take it in just like your body, do it in a proactive sense versus you're so broken down, we can't repair you and put you together with duct tape on race day.
2: I Actually, it's interesting you say that, Kurt, because I started off the the my training block after my season break um, during the holidays, and I marched into a, a physio's office, and, and he's like, well, what's wrong? And I was like, well, nothing, but I want to go through <laughs> a movement screen, and I want you to pick up on things that you're seeing and give me a set of exercises to do on my non-gym days, spend 20 to 30 minutes just preventatively. Like I want to nip these things in the bud before they become a thing, before you get to that state of being broken down. And he looked, he almost wept. He gave me a hug. He's like, why isn't everybody like you? (laughs) No, it's not the fun stuff to do, but, um, you know, it, it goes a long way. Preventative stuff goes a very, very long way. Um, you know, in terms of, it's a lot easier to ward off a problem than it is to fix one once you've got one.
3: Yeah. Andrew, we can stay with this. This is, I think is a very important component of this podcast. I want to stay with it just for like a minute or yep. two longer. And I'm going to piggyback off of what Didi said. Even, you know, myself, as I'm assessing, how can I get better as a coach? How can I get better as an athlete? I've even take that bold move now that I'm doing yoga. I'm doing like hot yoga. And it's funny when i i was actually in the studio earlier today, and this was like—I'm I, I, not on the podium in yoga class. I can tell you honestly, I'm like in the back row, with the instructor helping me, Kurt, do this and do that. <laughs> I've done it six times, and it's the hot yoga. And and I—I I, I thought to myself in the moment, back in the '80s, if I'd have told Mark Allen, "Hey, Mark, I've got to go to yoga class," or Timely, those guys would have—they—they they would have had me jump off the ship. That wasn't going to happen. But in this day and age. If I can start to do yoga, there's no doubt in my mind when I look at strength, flexibility, balance, doing all those things, it's a game changer. And I've, I've gone to my sixth class, so it's kind of like swimming. The more you go, the more you like it.
1: I, I have a new dream, Kurt. I, 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 a new goal is to some at somehow, some way, be in the same place at the same time to attend a hot yoga class with Kurt Madden uh, in San Diego, so I, I got to find a, an excuse to come out to San Diego just to go do hot yoga with you. So that so, sounds like a blast.
2: Hey, let's maybe, let's maybe, fast forward that and have Kurt open his own hot yoga studio. We'll all. Hey. Go.
3: But Andrew, maybe we can do that at the Ambassador Camp in, in St. George. I'll, that would be. I can bring somebody in So
1: fun. Um, so I, I wanted to. to Actually, a little further into our script, I, I had me asking this question, but Kurt, you were just talking about this, so I'm going to bring it up here too. We're, we're kind of going out of order today, but it's in a in a way that's good. Um, a, a lot of our athletes, whether it's just on the Facebook group or or just to to in conversation at races, they they kind of pose the question. Kurt, you were talking about how your FTP is is higher now than it's ever been uh, in in your in your mid to upper sixties, and, and we've had athletes ask before okay, like on TriDot, you know, every four to six weeks, you have an assessment, you're, you're kind of time trialing, you're, you're swimming in the pool, you're 400, 200, you're time trialing a 5k, you're, you're doing that 20 minute power test. And I've seen people ask before, uh, at what age can I expect myself to stop getting better? Uh, and they, they kind of expect there to be a, a point where, okay, well, now I'm 40. Well, now I'm 50. Now I'm 60. So clearly, I can't do as well as I did when I was 30. But, but we're seeing in a lot of athletes like yourself that that's not necessarily the case. So, so, and you pose, maybe this is genetic, maybe it's not, maybe it differs from athlete to athlete, but, but for, for each of you kind of, what is your perspective on this? What is your perspective on, is there an age where, where you stop shooting for all time PRs and you kind of switch gears to, oh, I'm just going to do the best I can do for my age? Uh, is there an age range maybe where you start trailing off or can we keep improving indefinitely?
2: I think it depends a little bit um, on what your background is. I mean, for me personally, uh, I'm not going to hit any PR swimming. I mean, I'm a NCAA champion, All-American, two-times Olympic trials swimmer. Like, those days are in the rearview mirror for sure. So I'm fighting decline in the pool based on where I started from. Okay. That being said, I mean, I hear Kurt talk about a a 70-year-old who's still, you know, running – you know, close to PBs in in five k type. I think it depends on where you're starting from. I mean, if you're just new to the sport, and that's one of the things I love advocating for now as an older athlete, it's never too late to start. If you want to start triathlon and you're you're 50, great, you know, dive right in because your curve you're gonna improve, right? We're all starting from somewhere, um, so I think it depends a little bit on on the background and and what the potential is um, where you're starting from, what, what your, the depth of your, your history is in, in each of the sports. But, you know, like Kurt, I'm still seeing PRS on the bike, not much on the run, but I think I'm finding greater efficiencies on the run. Okay. Um, and, and so I think, you know, you look for improvements in per- perhaps different ways, but I, I think if you're just starting, you're going to be seeing PRS no matter what your age.
3: You know, Didi and I are <clears throat> we're we're really on the same page. I think it's case by case, it's person by person. And and I know as I work with athletes and with Tridot, I've got some, I've got, you know, one person in particular that's in his 70s, and we go back through his assessments from three years ago, and and he's right there. He has not stopped at all. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, he's like in his mid-70s. <clears throat> he's probably genetically really, really superior. He follows the training plan, he's a great guy to coach. I've got other people that at the age of 50, they can't quite do that. So I think it's really, really case by case. But just like, you know, um, Didi said, I think a lot about our sport is efficiency. And I think the ideal person is like, I want to have the physiology of a 30-year-old, but the wisdom of a 60-year-old. And that's, (laughs) and Andrew, even going back to last year, and you were kind of there, that, guy we did four races. Each one was a little bit different and unique, but I posed the question- when people are, are preparing for an Ironman. So the question is, how many Ironmans do you think you would have to do before you really nail one, that, that everything goes almost perfect? And, and I'm not surprised by what they say. They're going, first of all, that's a really good question. Secondly, is I'd probably have to do about 16. And I'm like, can you repeat that again? So you're not this isn't the one and done. And I know even last year, Andrew, things for me because of all the chaos, with the weather and everything else, the last race of the year out of four, that was the one that worked out the best. So I think as you age, you get that wisdom, that experience. And I think that's what is so intriguing for me about Kona is that I will train literally the whole year to perform my best on that day. Because if I can get five minutes faster on that course or you know, <clears> go up Pelini on the run and not die out at the energy lab and just keep on running and be in the top 10 or be in the podium, it's like, you know what? To me, that is totally worth that journey. It really, really is. So I, I think peaking, it's its really, most of it I think is in your head versus your body. And I think, again, I know that I, I was working with an athlete recently and it was after your podcast about stamina and it was like an epiphany. He's like, you know, I know what it is now. And I said, what is it? He said, my limiting is in my head. I don't yeah. want to really put myself out there to get really uncomfortable and be comfortable doing that. And I said, perfect. So. Thanks to you, shout out Andrew for that podcast and Jeff and John. That that really, and I I go back to that often. So I think again, so much is is in our mind.
1: So something that Didi mentioned a little bit earlier um, as being important as as you age, and I know it's important for all of us, is our nutrition. I mean, dialing in our nutritional needs is such a key component of multisport success. You know, both in the day to day training and on race day, um, nutrition it fuels our training, it enables our recovery. Um, and it drives us forward, obviously, on race day. So, how are the nutritional needs of older athletes different from those of younger athletes?
2: Just stating the obvious: as we get older, and um, we muscle mass is the first thing that we tend to lose. And so, I think having, you know, adequate protein intake um, is critical. I think time in the gym is critical uh, for maintaining that muscle, um, and you know again i like kurt and and he said this you know it's it's everything in moderation i think the longer you're in the sport the more you sacrifice the, for the sport and this is something that karen smyers taught me after a race um, that didn't go very well for me we were both racing together and uh, i didn't have a very good race and i was quite upset afterwards and she just shook her head at me and the perspective of that woman i tell you she's like dee dee Win or lose, we drink the booze and we wandered right over to the finish line <laughs> beer truck and had ourselves a beer. Um, but, you know, she really taught me the lesson that if you want to be in this sport for a really long time, it does have to be moderation. So you, I don't think you can live this puritanical life, right? And, and I work with a nutritionist now who I've worked with 147 different nutritionists in my life because it's it's been a real struggle for me um, to, to get it right, because it's just not something I have that much interest in. I'm, I'm a picky eater. I eat for simplicity. Give me the path of least resistance so I can just eat this meal and be done with it and not necessarily what's best for me. And so he's been great, but also everything in moderation. If you have to give up everything and not eat, you know, a gram of sugar too much, like you're going to end up resenting the sport. So I, I I think we have to make good choices, but I think you have to do it in moderation and still enjoy the things that you, you enjoy in life.
1: Yeah. Kurt, Kurt, what have you learned about nutrition just in terms of just sustaining your energy, sustaining your effort and, and, you know, lasting this long in the sport and, and succeeding at this age? Is it any different for you than it was earlier uh, in your career?
3: Yeah, I think, um, again, just to piggyback off of DDR, you know, I think our mindsets are so common and similar that that when you were younger, you could get away with a little bit more. Not that it was truly excessive-excessive, I mean, but it was something that looking back on it, if I had to, to do that over, I probably could have done it a little, not, not too much better, but a little bit better. But I think to fast forward now, I think we have so much more information. There's so much, and that's one thing we need to remember with our sport back when it started. It was like, like, we'll know more. I, I can remember we had the, that conversation, like, we'll know more in 20 or 30 or 40 years. Well, we're here yeah. right now. So <laughs> let's be very, very strategic. But I think, again, as I really try to model it and then I work with people, it's just really eating wholesome and eating as clean as possible. Try to really be honest with yourself and, and do a food diary for seven days. I think it's very, very compelling. Some people are like, well, I need 2,000 calories a day. I said, I won't argue that. But tell me about the calories you're consuming. Yes. And then the yeah. person says, you know, I do have a lot of hollow calories. Oh, perfect. Okay. Let's kind of minimize that back or maybe the portion size. And I know that I've gotten older. It was kind of the big day. I can remember just being at the, quote, carbo-loading party. That truly what it was is, boy, you would just eat and eat and eat all this food. Fast forward to where we are today, it's really, really changed. I mean, there's such a focus now as we look, we know the importance of protein, we know the importance of electrolytes, supplements. But for me, the shift I've made over the past, say, three to four years is really 48 hours before the race, I tend to really start um, not consuming as much solid food that I'll kind of drink my calories. And, and I've got a great balance, of carbose protein, a little bit of fat. But, you know, Andrew, as you talk so many times on podcasts, is that it's so nice on race morning to say, okay, let me look in the rear view mirror. I know exactly how much solid food I took in yesterday. Therefore, on race morning, there's going to be very few issues. It's going to be so much nicer. So that's one thing that I think that I've made that change. And I work with people on that. I try to just kind of have them weigh in on that topic. I think it's just nice to start that day. So it's continuing to evolve. And sometimes the word nutrition or food, it's a four-letter word. And what I've learned, and it's that's the beauty of working with so many different people in Tridot, is that, boy, you don't realize how many issues people have with nutrition. It could be sinuses or they're allergic to something. And I'm thinking, how can, they, how can they get through the amount of training that we do because they're so limited on their nutrition? So I think for people like that, they need to set that bar a little bit lower that maybe a full Ironman is not gonna be your go-to. We can work through that, but it's really, really sometimes. And I'm just fortunate I don't have those types of situations as an athlete. And I've got a great cook, uh, Kelly, Queen K, we call her. She is just the (laughs) go-to. She's like Bobby Flay on steroids. So she is just very particular on this is when you're going to eat, this is how much you're going to eat, and things like that. So I'm very, very fortunate.
2: I think another thing that's important to to highlight as well is when we talk about sort of technology, and this isn't technology specifically, but the evolution of sports nutrition as well and how that's allowed us to – uh, continue to find new ways to be faster and better and, uh, to sustain energy. And, and to Kurt's point for people that have various nutritional issues, the, the sheer variety of sports nutrition products now yeah. meet those very specific needs. Um, the ability to diagnose those needs, Um, So much better. Um, Again, that's one thing that my nutritionist has been very helpful um, to me with is not only the day-to-day nutrition and and making sure you're getting those pre-fueling and and recovery fuels before and after workouts right, but during the workouts themselves, uh, finding that right product or that right combination of products that, that works for you and the fact that there are so many to choose from now, I think gives athletes a, a great uh, variety. I mean, I, I made a switch to, to UCAN a couple of years ago um, as my primary source of race nutrition. And it's been tremendous in terms of my digestive issues, but it, it's going to be different for every athlete. It, it really just depends. But the fact that there are so many options now, it can be overwhelming, but if you're well guided uh, by a coach, by a nutritionist, uh, by a, a training partner who's got a lot more experience that can make those suggestions because it's it, that's why it's so complicated. It's not a one-size-fits-all. We all know generally in day-to-day nutrition what good choices are, right? We know it's not necessarily smart to go for the, the Big Mac and the French fries for lunch. It's better to have you know A, B, and C. Um, but on the, the fueling, like the training fueling and the racing fueling, that's a much tougher nut to crack, but I think that there, the fact that there are so many options out there now um, is, is great, um, that, that people can find what they need, be it a, a vegan source or whatever their dietary preferences or requirements are.
1: Yeah. I, I've mentioned on the podcast before the, uh, the website, thefeed.com. Um, you know, we, we are not sponsored in any way, shape or form by the feed.com. I, I just think it's a great site to, um, to, to kind of try some things because you can buy instead of buying a tub of something, you can buy a couple individual packets of a bunch of different items and kind of play in your training with what you like. And, and, and DD for me, one of the silver linings of my, my first Ironman. So when I signed up for Ironman, it was Ironman Texas in 2020. 20. It got canceled. It got pushed a couple different times. And one of the silver linings for me in all those postponements was it gave me time to discover you can, and kind of work out for myself kind of my the, how I use you can. And and by the time I got to race day at Ironman Waco, I, I had my system in place. Uh, I knew exactly how to do it. I had done it in race rehearsals. I'd done it in stamina sessions, and I had my down tube bottle uh, on on my bike. Uh, had had all my servings of you can. It had my precision hydration uh, and nutrition uh, electrolytes. And it had um, my my Delta G uh, ketone ester uh, all in the same bottle. And had I done Ironman Texas the first time I signed up for it, I would have had none of that on my bike, and I, I nutrition wise would not have been uh, nearly on point. So, DD, for you on race day, is it all you can start to finish? Kind of what's your what's your system that you found?
2: No, I use Ucan is definitely the foundation. It's it's the it's the foundation of my nutrition. And and to Kurt's point, I take a lot of Ucan on board in the days leading up to um you know as a as a carbo load so to speak, but low glycemic settles nicely in the stomach um it's uh, nearly my entire race morning breakfast as you can and then my depending on the length of the race my first few bottles will be you can because you lay that foundation and then that slow burning um, um, energy is released throughout the day. And then for the longer efforts, I do believe, and can will even advocate for this. You do need to layer a higher glycemic carb on top of it for super intense sessions or really longer sessions. Um, but can is absolutely the foundation. And once I have that can on board, I actually find my stomach is just settled almost regardless of what I put on top of it for the high glycemic component later in the day. Um, so that can has been tremendous for me.
1: So even with your fitness on point, your nutrition dialed in, your recovery and your strength building going well, that there's still kind of the mental aspect of being a triathlete, things like confidence in yourself, mental stamina to go to to go the distance, the grit to dig deep when it hurts. Younger or older, we all need to be mentally prepared for tough training days and of course, uh you know, tough moments on race day. Kurt is developing mental toughness the same for us all or, or does it kind of take on a different
3: form when you're in the older half of the field? Maybe I'm going to tap into Dee first. I'm going to I'm going to have her go first, and then I'm going to follow up on that. I'm curious what she might say.
2: <laughs> um, oh, gosh, I mean, we've all had races where I raced, and I, I'm not going to remember the year, but I raced Ironman South Africa one year and just had a terrible race, and just decided, um, coming off the bike, I was so far back. Um, that was it. I was quitting, but I didn't want my last race to be a DNF. So I decided I was going to walk the whole marathon and throughout the whole marathon, I was working on my resume in my head. Cause of course I had to go get a job. And <laughs> I thought, well, you know, it's okay that I'm quitting. Cause now I can, I can get a puppy and I was naming the puppy, and of course, none of this is productive to getting yourself back into the race. Um, I
1: just love that all that was going on in your head during a race. That's fantastic.
2: Oh no, it was amazing. I actually stopped <laughs> at one of the tents, Ironman South Africa. The, the, a lot of the tri teams they they have their own tents, and there were some adult beverages being served. I think I stopped and had a half a beer with one of them. Like I just, <laughs> there was no way I, I did not give myself the opportunity to get back into that race ever. Like I made like it wasn't going well, and I I quit. I finished the race, but I quit mentally. Um, And and I think ever since then, I I really have tried and it hasn't always worked, but I've tried to adopt the strategy that the only way out is through Um, and that you can, uh, if I am physically able to finish the race, I will do it. And making the most of every single moment, there are going to be dire moments in any Ironman race you do. In any sprint race you do, you're going to have dire moments of doubt and- this isn't going the way it's supposed to. This doesn't feel as good as it's supposed to. But again, with the experience, I'm able to tell myself, well, I don't feel good, but I don't have to feel good to be able to go fast. Feeling good is an ancillary benefit. Like we all dream about those days where you go fast and feel good, but most of the time it doesn't actually feel that good. So get that out of your mind you don't have to feel good to go fast. And if things aren't going the way that you are are doing or or expecting them to, to, to go, be a problem solver, right? Instead of just woe is me and, and and boohooing in your Cheerios, figure out a way through, like figure out the way, how am I going to make the most of this moment that isn't going particularly well? What bag of tricks do I have that I can pull from to make this situation better and find better? And sometimes better is, okay, I just need to walk to the next aid station and you need to give yourself credit for that, for making that decision and saying, okay, this is what I think I need And committing to that strategy until that doesn't work. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but, but giving up on a race before you've gotten to the finish line, you know, you may problem solve from start to finish and never quite get it right, but at least you've, you've tried. Um, so to me, I, I like to just say, you know, the only way out is through and, and I'm going to problem solve this if it's not going the way I want to. And at least by the time I get to the finish line, I threw everything I had at it.
1: Kurt, I I, I uh, don't think she did too bad going first there on that one. Do you, you have anything to add there?
3: <laughs> yeah, I do. No, and I, I again, I think we're, our thought process is very very similar. What I really try to do is 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 really kind of um, get into that self hypnotic trance. And many times it's called the state of flow. Uh, it's been talked about that mountain climbers get it, that surgeons get it, triathletes get it. As I watch the great people in our sport, if it's John Ferdino or you know. Um, Heather Jackson, you get through the whole list, that, that they're in that trance, that they're, they're in a state where it's enjoyable, it's effortless, it's easy, and they can go all day. That, that nine hours seems like three hours. It goes very, very quickly. So what I really try to do before a race, actually moments before, I do a lot of visualizing in my training, um, you know, especially the week before the race, but I think again with literally two to three minutes before, I just really try to get into that hypnotic state and and go to the point where i know i just let things go and then it's effortless it's like i've got to get my mind there first and i've got to stay there because you're going to hit those speed bumps and andrew i remember quarter lane well i got off that bike and i'm like i am not this is not going to be fun at all i was not in the zone that day for sure i was completely out of the zone doubting myself down my ability in such a dark spot i was just moments from ringing the bell um, so I'm, I'm going to come clean on that. But I think the mental approach to racing is, is can make it or break it for so many people and the people that do really well, especially if you lined up the f- top five women or men, their max VO2s are identical, but it's the will to grind longer and harder than anyone else. But it's that mental state that you're in. And there's some days where people just know it. It's like, I'm just going to be unstoppable today. You don't want to, Lucy Charles, she said that at St. George. She was very, um, she did it with humility, but she kind of said, I knew for sure on that day I was going to win St. George. And wow. she was first on the swim. She was first on the bike and first on the run. She made a statement. So I think for every athlete, regardless of where you are, work toward getting to that mental state of mind versus I have this fear, I have this anxiety, nothing good's going to happen. And, and I see that especially people that aren't very good swimmers. They are so worked up and to start the day in that rough patch, they never come out of it versus relax. The water's your friend. You've got a wetsuit on. You are going to float. There's lifeguards everywhere. Make this enjoyable as possible because you're going to be out of there on the bike and then you're running. So,
1: so to kind of to kind of land the plane on our, on our main set, kind of a, a two-part question here for y'all. And the first is this, for, for athletes like me in, in our 20s, 30s, uh, you know, and probably even our, our young to mid 40s somethings. Are there any habits that we can form now to help extend our tri-careers into our 50s and beyond? Kurt, I think about the, the, the young man who you joked with at Ironman Texas where, where, you know, you told him you were 93 years old and he was like, man, I want to be like you. I mean, 93 or 63, I- either way. I mean, I, I would love to be doing this sport into my 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and, and, and beyond. And I think a lot of us would aspire to that. What habits can we form now to to make sure that we're set up to have a successful back half of our tri career, Kurt, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I think I would call this really. What are some what are some nuggets we can get out of our of our sports or out of, out of this sport or the trials and tribulations? And I think I've loved. I mean, I've seen so so much that um, you know I've kind of embraced. I think the number one thing is love the sport. Love the sport means you're going to take the good with the bad, <laughs> and that's what unconditional love is. You take yeah. the good with the bad. Try not to live in the past, try to really live in the moment, enjoy everything that's going on. Um, remember that That also I think that this is our individual story. Andrew, your story is different than, Didi's Dee different than mine. It's the comparison I think that that's why some people leave. They're just kind of self defeated that I'll never beat that person. And I'm trying to coach them up. No, this is about, this is about you. And every single day, and I think COVID was was really good in a way that every day I've told people it's a day to practice your craft, and be a craftsman, don't be a carpenter. I think you know, and it's really a lifestyle. It's that physical and mental health that is going to sustain you. And I think at the end of the day, that's a really, really, really good mindset to have, and know that no matter how bad we wanted a certain time or a certain place or whatever the case might be, that I've learned in life that things always work out that things happen for a reason, but if you play the long game, you're going to have a lot of joy in the journey as you continue yours.
2: I would agree a hundred percent. And that it, it comes from love of the sport. Um, and, and I would say, just always be curious. Um, always be curious about ways you can keep getting better. Um, and if you love the sport, you will, you will do that automatically. I don't want the music to stop. Like I just, I want to keep playing the game. And, and so I'm going to, be curious about these little details now that I can, I can turn these dials and and continue to get better or at least continue to not get slower (laughs) um, as I get older, but it comes from a, just a deep passion for getting to do this sport. It's such a gift to be able to be a part of this community uh, to get to test ourselves, not only on race courses, but day in and day out through the training, the lifestyle as Kurt said is such a, it's such a valuable thing to me that I think the best habits you can get into in the earlier years are to find that love. What is it that you absolutely love about this sport and make that be your focus and that's going to keep you in it for the long haul. So
1: on the flip side to our athletes listening that, that are sliding towards age 50 or, or maybe currently in their 50s and, and, or, or even older, you know, what final words of wisdom would you share with them today uh, just to kind of help them excel in the sport and enjoy triathlon for a long time to come?
2: I guess for me, I, I think, you know, even if you're not, if, if the joy is there and the love is there, even if you're not maybe as fast as you used to be, you can still find joy and love in it. Um, my days of, of even having the ability to qualify for the Ironman World Championship as a pro are numbered. I've come close a couple of times and it would be exciting to get to race there again as a pro. I don't think I could realistically say I ever have a chance in heck of being in the top ten there. But that doesn't mean that participation there is 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 worthless. I think that there your story continues to evolve, and at least for me, as I've gotten older in my career, um the things that I find value, that the way I define success is slightly different. But I still think I'm I'm successful. I just, as I said, turned in the second fastest bike split ever ridden by a woman in Ironman history at the age of 51. Now, granted, I rode like Tarzan, or rode like Tarzan, ran like Jane, but it didn't end <laughs> up being a great day overall. And there's things I'd like to have back. But that's a big piece of the puzzle. And I think... I went the fastest Ironman I've ever gone at the age of 51. The best time I've ever I've ever done as a as a triathlete at the Ironman distance, and I did it at age 51. And it wasn't perfect, so I just think that, um, yeah, you can even if you're you're you can get fa- you can get better in so many ways. Even that if that doesn't necessarily equate to getting faster, you can still get better.
0: Great set, everyone. Let's cool down.
1: For having two heavy hitters in the Ultraman scene, we talked very little about Ultraman on this episode, mostly because that just wasn't our focus today. Uh, we will at some point do an Ultraman episode here on the Dot podcast. But for today, let's kind of close out our show on the cool down of this episode with just, just a quick nugget of Ultraman wisdom from each of you. I know we do have athletes in the Dot family who like training for Ultraman, racing Ultraman. Um, so, so Kurt, you're, you're an Ultraman world champion, DD. You are an Ultraman world record holder. So I, I guess both of you are fairly okay with going the distance. Um, what would you say to athletes out there who are either currently training for Ultraman or interested in taking the giant step into the part uh, into that part of multi-sport? Kurt, what do you think?
3: I think it's, it's going to go back to when we started Ultraman. Indeed, he's touched on it. It's the Ohana. It's It's that mindset. It's family. No one gets left behind. We're going to finish it no matter how bad it gets. Don't doubt yourself enjoy every single moment. And I think that you're going to surprise yourself that if you do the training that is necessary, that you're going to be able to cover those distances over three days.
2: I think I agree with Kurt 100%. I think for me, the Ohana was a surprise. I know that they talked about it a lot going into it. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize how much it was going to impact me, the bond that I have that I feel like I have now, not only with the athletes who did Ultraman Florida, but with every Ultraman athlete in the world. I think that Ultraman now, and and I may be overstating this slightly, but Ultraman now is what Ironman was back in the early '80s. It's that small family. There's that. There's not a huge volume of people doing it, so you have this really unique shared experience with this group of people who, to Kurt's point, they're all warriors. I don't care what time on the clock they finished. I have so much respect for all of those people who have tackled that distance because it's a journey um, and it's, it's a really special thing. And, and to Kurt's point also on the, on the last topic, I, I, I didn't even know there ha- there was such a thing as an Ultraman world record until the night before day three, my coach told me, Hey, if you run ABC, you're going to break the Ultraman world record. And I was like, why would you tell me that? <laughs> 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 I, I, it wasn't, it was the furthest thing from my thought process, when I signed up for the race, I wanted the experience. Um, and, and that's still what I come away with and what hopefully at the end of my triathlon career, I come away with, I had a coaching client ask me what my PR was for 70.3. I had no idea. And he was gobsmacked. He was like, what do you mean? You don't know how fast you've ever gone into 70.3. I'm like, honestly, no, because I don't remember times like that. I remember, races and battles that I was in with various competitors and things that I conquered for myself mentally over the course of, of various races, but the times are irrelevant. Um, to Kurt's point, it's it's the community, it's the Ohana, and whether that's Ultraman, Ironman, whatever it is, that's what you're going to come away from your career with or those memories, not necessarily the memories of my split or the power I held or, or any of those factors.
1: Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank TriDot coach Kurt Madden and pro triathlete Didi Griesbauer for talking about excelling in triathlon as we age our way up and up and up. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to TriDot.com slash podcast and click on submit feedback to get your feedback to us here at the show. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training.
0: Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.